Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, dare I even ask how you are doing? Uh, how are you? I am, all things considered, actually fairly good and mm. fairly grateful for having the platforms that I have to talk about issues like the murder of George Floyd and Tony McDade and Breonna Taylor. I'm afraid to investigate the murder of Ahmad Arbery until quite recently and Christian Cooper being harassed in a park in New York because he was asking someone to put a leash on the dog. I mean, yeah, I'm actually, in the context of all that, generally really quite good. But it's funny you should ask because just before you got in touch, I had a kip for the recording of this podcast because yesterday I was on Deutsche Welle talking about the murder of a black person by a police officer. And this morning at 8.30am, I was interviewed by NBC, having had like about five hours sleep to talk about the murder of a black person by a police officer. And I spent yesterday afternoon hanging out with a friend who'd done an interview like I had about the murder of a black person by a police officer, just to make sure she was okay. And I spent Saturday at a protest about the same. So it's weird. It's been like a weekend of just not dealing with it. That sounds dramatic. Not dealing with it, but more like a weekend of trying to be eloquent about it and trying to talk about this stuff in a fashion where people can hear it and maybe act upon it. Um, and I won't say I'm tired because that's dramatic and that's not entirely true. It would be totally valid though. Yeah, but it's not, it's, it's what, I, what I mean is it's more that, um, it's not that I'm tired personally. It's that it was a really nice weekend in Berlin. Like the weekend was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. And it feels like I was in a parallel universe where I was indoors comforting or outdoors protesting. And there was a whole of the Berlin, which was kind of unaware of any of this, not posting on social media, not getting in touch, just check in if you're okay. Not, there was a whole other Berlin out there that was wandering. And, you know, it's something maybe, maybe women experience, you know, obviously women of color as well, but maybe people experience who they look at guys going, why don't you speak out about misogyny when we're going through this? We're going through hell. You don't seem to notice. People who are not able-bodied might look at people who are able-bodied going, this city is not fit for purpose. It's not designed for people in wheelchairs. Like, how can you just wander about your lives oblivious? And this weekend's really reminded me of the importance of speaking for people, even when you may not feel directly affected. It's really reminded me of the importance of speaking out when you feel that it's not your battle, your struggle, because there are not enough people doing the work. They can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. That really was the reminder. And it's now made me look at other social issues and be like, what am I missing? Who am I not helping? Who needs me? So yeah, that, yeah, so that's a long answer, but that's, uh, that's how it's been. Yeah. I mean, I think those who have listened to us from episode one will understand that we probably couldn't just go into this episode after the weekend that's been or the week that's been when you have an entity that is co-founded by a straight white guy because God knows there aren't enough of those in football already. Or on podcasts generally. Exactly. <laughs> and also co-founded by a 
bisexual black male who is my friend and someone who has changed my life. And whether you were my friend or not, or whether you changed my life or not, it's kind of irrelevant in this scenario, I think. But what I'm trying to say is I think that it would be weird for us to not talk about these things or this specific weekend before we talk about the football because what's the point? What's the point in any of this if we can't acknowledge stuff like that? We have a number of people who listen to the podcast who have to deal with this shit every day. have had to deal with this shit every day of their lives. And I haven't. I haven't ever had to deal with the prospect of being prejudged because of my gender or sexuality or race. Avoiding discussing those issues is a massive abuse of the privilege. So in times like this, you have to listen to the people who have experienced stuff like this. And even in times, this is the thing I want to highlight, not just in times like this, every single day, listen to women, listen to the LGBTQ plus community, listen to people of colour, listen to their experiences and change your behaviour because everyone needs everyone. And I see the, sorry, I'm going on on a massive long one now. No, I was thinking actually, Ryan, about this. Yeah. I see the pain and the treatment of people like yourself and um, I'll never have to experience that. I think it's very hard for people, Ryan, who don't, who've never had, how do I express this? The most powerful post, not the post, most powerful, the, the most powerful reaction I ever had to a piece I wrote was when Adama Traore, young Frenchman, was suffocated by police in a police station in Paris maybe a couple of years ago. And I was going to a work meeting. I was flying through Dusseldorf and I was at my laptop and I basically read the story of his death and I was in tears. And I went on Facebook and I said, okay, like I've got a lot of white friends, obviously. And I said, look how hard your lives are. You've got partners, you've got kids, you've got jobs, you've got a lot of challenges. There's so many things, you know, as a white person that you navigate in your daily life, just, just life, right? You know, life is hard. And I I listed all the things that a white person might go through in their own life that could be difficult. You might have a relative that falls ill. You might have a young cousin that gets cancer, six years old. You might have all of that. You know, you've got all these things that like you go through that are brutal. I named a bunch of examples of things and I said, okay, your lives are hard. Your lives are challenging. And I said, okay, imagine that. And then all this other stuff. Yeah. All this other stuff. And you know, the funny thing was, and I said, here's the thing, like, I don't have the option of hanging up my black skin so I don't get racially profiled or this or that. I don't have the option of this. So I, I experienced all the things you've experienced, all the things I've listed, things, challenges that I've experienced in some form or another. You know, I don't have kids, but I've had parental responsibility. You know, I've had people die of whatever illness. I've got all the things you have and this whole other thing. And today is one of those days where it's just too much. And the funny thing was people who I've known for 20 years were like, finally, I get it. Mm-hmm. And the scary thing was, the reason they finally got it is I think that at some level, when I talk about stuff like racism, people think it's a career for me. Or they think that I'm somehow mentally tougher because I'm black and I'm outspoken. And I'm like, I'm a kind of, people don't believe it, but I, I don't have the option of being a homebody. I don't have the option of shrinking. The reason I have a big personality is because I understood that the world would not ignore you even if you tried to be small. Like when I hit 13 years old, 
it was like an alarm went off and all of a sudden I was being racially profiled. And like I was an awkward teenager, like so many of us, and I was too tall for my age and I was like awkward. And I was like, all of a sudden the police just descended on me like vultures on dead meat. And I had to develop a personality to adapt to that. And in Berlin here, in Berlin, like I had to adapt my personality to see that. I had to adapt my personality to a society which is still very hostile towards black people, particularly dark-skinned black people. Like I didn't realize how dark I was in quote marks until the police started coming for me like it was, you know, honey on a stick to bees. And I guess it's important to talk about this because I think that one real reason that a lot of white people don't see this, even the ones that care, the reason that a lot of white people that care don't come on line and talk about this stuff and don't stick up and don't speak out. And there's two things. First is like, they don't have natural predators. There's not people out constantly trying to kill white people or restrain their movement, like constantly trying to like, you know, so what that means is your perspective, your worldview, it's hard to believe that exists for other people, right? Yeah. It's hard to believe. So a man that's never been sexually harassed may not believe the sheer degree, but the problem comes with believing accounts. And this is the thing I think a lot of white people are taught not to believe black people when they're told how bad it is. That's the other part of it. Mm. So it's one thing not experiencing racial discrimination, but then when a black person talks about it, there's a sense of, ah, oh, maybe they're exaggerating, which is weirdly why we've got these people as our presidents, because the people that warned first about what these people were doing to the country or to the world were black people, black women in particular. Like as far back as the 1970s, 1980s, black people were warning about what Trump really was. They told people for 30 years and how painful it must be for 30 years to watch someone rise towards power and not be, not be stopped. And this is why, even despite America burning, even despite Britain in the early stages of authoritarian control, which is what I think it is, I said to a friend, I said, you still don't understand what you've elected in Britain. People in the UK still don't understand. People in the US still don't fully understand. And it sounds harsh, but I'm like, I don't think these are compassionate people in charge of these countries. It's not about what you voted. Okay. It's not about left or right. It's about are compassionate people in charge of the country. And Black people, not because we're special superheroes, we're spiritually gifted. It's not that. It's because black people tend to experience the downsides of a society that is negative, first of all. So we're like the early warning systems of history. But the reasons why we're not listened to is because people are taught not to listen to us because we're inferior. And that's why I'm sitting there at my laptop at 8.30am in my smartest roll deck. That's why I'm sitting on Deutsche Welle looking into a blank blue screen where I can't see the person talking to me trying to have my sentences perfectly modulated so they're not going to see an angry black dude screaming at them about racism that's not, not their fault because it was their ancestors and come on, slavery's done, it's over with. I'm trying to present myself in such a presentable form so people will listen, knowing that a lot of them will just look at me and be like, oh, there's an angry black dude talking about race again. And the truth is, in an ideal world, all I would talk about if I had the choice would be 433s and Chelsea's staggered midfield and George Weyer and fullbacks. And, you know, that, that is what I, I said to a friend today, I said, in 2007, I was nominated for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. How many people in my generation of writers have been nominated for that? And I'm not bigging myself. I'm just saying 2007, my career was set up to be a football writer who talked about tactics and greatness. I made my name in football writing, talking about greatness. And for the last 13 years, how many people have got in touch to ask me to talk about tactics and greatness? And how many people have got in touch with me to talk about 
racism in football, racism in football, even though I might be better at talking about tactics and greatness than most other people out there. But no, it's Musa. He wants to talk about race. And this is why I had to fuck off to Germany because those fuckers, all they cared about was, ah, oh, it's Musa. He's jumping up. He's a, it's like a puppet. I felt like a minstrel. And I don't often swear on record or whatever, but I'm leaving that there because it really fucks me off that I feel like a joke sometimes. I feel like a monkey sometimes. And they talk about monkeys in the stands, but nothing makes you feel more than a monkey than having an expertise in something and being asked to talk about your expertise and your own trauma. Oh, you're suffering, Musa. How does it feel? If you get the crap kicked out of you and you go to a hospital, you get expected to be told where it hurts, right? You get expected to be cared for, whatever. You expect the doctor to come, okay, where does it hurt here? Where does it hurt there? If someone has the crap kicked out of them, the first thing you do is not put a microphone under their nose and ask them to be coherent. Yet the way racism is structured in our society and white supremacy is structured is that the second you have the crap kicked out of you or a colleague does or a friend does or someone you love or gets murdered or gets the life choked from their body, they stick a microphone under your nose and they expect you to give a great post-match interview. Oh, the racism was really bad today. The racism was terrible. Explain your thoughts, Musa. Actually, um, I'm bleeding from the gut, but fuck it. I've got a stab wound, but fuck it. Yeah, this is how it was. And I'm sorry to go on about this, but that's why I'm really angry, Ryan. Like, Dude, you should never, ever, ever have to apologise for that. Ever. Like you don't. These conversations make people feel really uncomfortable and they should because nothing was ever achieved in life without people feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, so true. It's so true. You know, it is funny because um, I was thinking about how this affects our lives as people that love sport who just want to get on with sport. And I actually saw Lewis Hamilton come out and yeah. Lewis Hamilton was like, look how quiet people are in Formula One. Like this is obviously a white dominated sport, majority white. And I thought to myself, my goodness, you look at Lewis Hamilton's career and you realise how much greater those championships have been, uh, that he's won have been because he's won them. He's won them alone. He's won them while knowing, wow, like how disappointing must it be for him to look around and be like, wow, like I hung out with that guy at that bar that time we were out in Monaco, we had a barbecue here. Like that's the sadness of it. Like all these friends that Lewis Hamilton would have had within sport. You're like, my God, what a lonely place to be like. That must be like, that's one of the loneliest messages I've ever seen. And I, I saw Lewis Hamilton speak at the uh, Laureus World Sports Awards last year. And it shocked me how outspoken he was. Like he was critiquing his own sponsor, Mercedes, like in the Mercedes-Benz arena. Like we should do more, we should do more. And I'm like, how brave, but also how appalling that it's been left to one of the greatest athletes in any discipline. He has to get to the top and he starts to speak out. Like, shouldn't the marketing department be doing this? Shouldn't the sponsorship guys, the accountancy department be doing this? And I was on the table with the accountants and I was like, hey, like, why is Lewis doing this? He's driving. I guess what it says to me is, I was interviewed by NBC this morning and there's like, yeah, he was talking about it. And like, how do you feel? And I said, to be honest with you, like, Carl, like, where are the white people? Where are they? You know, more of them. And this is something that you and I talk about a lot. It's very easy to just post a hashtag and move on. Yeah. It's more difficult and it's more painful actually to really focus on trying to implement the change that you can on a direct level in terms of your surroundings. Yeah. Because it means that you have to face up to a lot of things that you may not have been brought up being taught. Yeah. And I've not always felt this way. I'd be a complete liar if I said that I had, because it's, I've told you this a number of times, but. I feel that when you move out of home and you're kind of in the world on your own, 
you almost have to reprogram your brain. Yeah. Because you've been reliant on things that you've been fed growing up from TV or you don't control your surroundings as much as you do when you're an adult. And at the heart of it, there has to be a willingness to listen. Because if people don't want to actually listen, then they're not going to hear anything. Yeah. My personal opinion on this, and it shouldn't be abnormal, and I'm, I deserve zero credit for this, so I'm not saying this to get some, but I didn't always want to hear. I didn't always want to listen because I didn't know it was a problem. And as I've got older, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, I've wanted to listen more and therefore I've heard more. Yeah. I think that the concept of change can be quite overwhelming to a number of people and therefore they maybe swerve the work. Yeah. I would personally try and kind of spin it in a more of a positive or motivating way is that I think people, a lot of white people underestimate how much change the small things can, can achieve in the long term. Yeah. And that's, I love that you've said that because people listening might feel, oh, this is quite dispiriting. And you know, actually, yeah, it's dispiriting, but it's like a diagnosis. You diagnose the problem and then the doctor prescribes, you know, possible cures. And, you know, when we talk about courage, there's a great letter from a Birmingham jail that Martin Luther King wrote. And he talks about white people and he goes, there's many white people who are sincerely against racism who didn't stand up for fear that they would be standing alone. And that's really interesting. And it's a great point by Dr. King because he really diagnoses the issue there that a lot of white people in their peer group feel like I'm the only person that feels that way. Or if I'm, if I speak up, then I'll be isolated. And I think, you know, a friend of mine, she wrote to me just this morning, Sadet, shout out to Sadet over in Hamburg. She said, I don't always speak out because it's too much or it's overwhelming or it's too much. And that's my kind of, I guess I'm making an excuse. And I was like, well, Here's what I do, right? If I need to speak out about something, I make sure I treat myself at the end of the day. It's a phone call. Last night it was a movie night watching Inception with some mates. Um, shout out to Nikesh, Vinay, Inua. Did you do a group watch? Yeah, we do a group watch every now and again. It's like, oh, that's, it's that's amazing. La Cosa Nostra. We don't talk about our thing. Um, our Netflix party. It's like, yeah, it's our thing. It's our Netflix party. And, um, you know, I, I make sure I treat myself. And, I want to encourage white people listening to this podcast who do care about these issues. Look, if you've listened to a speech and been moved by it, a Black Lives Matter speech, what I would say is try and take a moment to talk about this in your most intimate settings. If it's a WhatsApp group, a dinner table, if it's too stressful to talk about racism because you're worried about the family backlash or the friends backlash or being shut out of the WhatsApp group, I'm not going to say to you, just get on with it because you know what, actually that can be difficult. I'm not going to be up because I live in a city. I live, I'm surrounded by support. You may live in certain areas where you're not supported. I had a friend in Magdeburg going, everyone in my sort of street or whatever has that particular view that's quite, you know, basically like anti-immigrant Africa. It's hard in that situation to stand up to it. What I would say is just post an article on Facebook that you like and mute it. Just mute it. Just leave it there. Just put it out there into the world or say, oh, or put it in a family WhatsApp group. Oh, this is quite interesting. And just see what comes back. You don't have to be like, oh my God, you're like all this refugee, this. I said, no, I'm just saying it's interesting. Like we always talk about one kind of idea, don't we? We don't really talk about this stuff. Like, or maybe someone wants to, and if you're welcome, if you want to talk about it with me, then just write me privately. Like, here's the thing I thought about. It just, it just feels like it's really bad that a black person's being choked in broad daylight. Right. And it just doesn't feel right. And I want to talk about it. Just, just start it because I know for a lot of people that never spoken out or never stood up because the way their lives have gone and because it's been easier not to. And frankly, I don't know how much I'd be, spoken, I'd be speaking out if I wasn't 
black and bisexual. I speak out for survival, right? But I also speak out to make it easier for the next people. I think that's universal as a human thing. I think one thing we can relate to, whether we're black or white, straight or gay, you know, queer, whatever, trans, one thing we can all relate to at some level, hopefully, is hopefully, if we're compassionate, and I think listeners to this podcast are compassionate, one thing we can relate to is making the job easier for people coming after us. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's fair. I think you may have a hard time speaking out about something and the way I always do it, the reason when I go on TV and I'm nervous and people don't believe it because I come across confident, when I go on TV, I'm deeply nervous all the time, but I just think to myself, I'm doing this to make it easier for the next ones. I'm doing this for the children who are, you know, young, the ones, or the, uh, the children, both the young ones and the ones who aren't born yet. The ones who I'll never meet, they'll never know who I was, they'll never, you know, and hopefully won't care because they'll just have that sense of lightness, that sense of joy the lightness of heart, the joy that they, they don't have to go through that. That's the reason I do it. And I always will do it. And I hope that others listening will, will join me in that too, in whatever form that takes and however small that feels. Because as they say in The Wire, all the details matter. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. And, um, you know, like I mentioned in the first half of the podcast, so I'm a straight white guy and therefore I feel it is my duty to spread propaganda on my podcast. Yeah. So therefore, can everyone listening please go and vote for us in the British Podcast Awards for Listener's Choice? Go and vote. Go and vote. Um, We're not up for any award, as we've mentioned, but you can vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award. So we're up for the Uh, Listener's Choice Award, as is every other podcast. I'm, I'm up for it. You up for it, Musa? I'm well up for it. You know what? I'd love it. I'd love it. <laughs> Let's fucking do this. <laughs> if everyone could go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote, type in Stadio in the search bar, vote for us, please. I mean, I haven't really thought about what the end goal would be apart from winning. It's true. I quite like the idea of just winning and being like Thanos sitting in his cave, looking away. <laughs> this is done. Would you go in a roll neck? Would you accept the prize in a roll neck if we won? How about you pledge to do that? Um, I wouldn't accept the award. You're that much of an extremist. I've been radicalised. You're that much of an extremist. Jesus. That goes deep. Sorry, apologies for the blasphemy. I'm just so shocked that, that even if you won, your crowning glory for the podcast would be winning that award and you wouldn't accept it if a condition of accepting it would be wearing a roll neck. No. You wouldn't take it. No. This is why we can't come together. You were talking about division and unity in the first half of the podcast and you've literally... (laughs) You can't, you can't even come together. That is I'm absolutely shocked. There's something that feels, it feels like a deeper form of extremism. Oh it's so extreme. It's so extreme. I'm kidding. So you'd go in a roll neck then. Can we just get it on? If, you, if it made you happy, it if would. it genuinely made you happy, I would be honoured. Oh my God. Okay. Go <laughs> vote. Everyone. British Podcast Awards. dot com forward slash vote go and vote oh now you're on it go and vote for listeners choice (laughs) sorry guys i'm sorry about that noise but can you just if you remember anything this podcast i know the first half is very important if you remember anything else apart from the first half 
britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Start here listener's choice. Please go and vote. I will buy a roll neck and <laughs> wear it if we win. <laughs> Incredible. That's amazing. Let's talk. We ha- let's actually talk about some football. It's a football podcast. Oh God, yeah. I forgot we did a football podcast. Yeah, let's talk about football. Okay. It's a bit of a Trojan horse, isn't it? What, football? One, yeah, it's a podcast. It's like a catfish. This is actually a catfish podcast. God, yeah. I mean, I'm a catfish. You're all right. Mm, you're, you're, so, you're, strong, you're strong and stable. You say that? <laughs> strong and stable. <laughs> <laughs> I do have catfish elements. I do have catfish elements. But enough of those. <laughs> enough of those. Those, those can, uh, I'll save those for another time uh, off mic. But uh, football. Um, can I just, before we do move on to the football, we put a thing out saying that we weren't sure if we'd get to questions, but if anyone does have any, let us know. And we just got some really nice responses from everyone. So I just want to say thanks to everyone. And we hope everyone's doing all right. Just hope everyone's staying safe and well. And Absolutely. Um, so football. The football was really quite good. From Bundesliga returned, which is a big, big plus. Big game, actually. Let's start for that very quickly. Big, big game. Um, Bayern in second place against Hoffenheim in third. Hoffenheim really impressive this year. And Bayern won 3-0 at the end, but it was a close run thing. The first goal came after like 80, 85 minutes, I think. Yeah. And the next goals came in pretty quick succession. Demjanovic got a really good second, which was a superb burst of breakaway goal. Bayern with a strong win there and um, looks like they're going to be set for second place. It was a shame for Hoffenheim because they've been strong. They put in a really, I would say, maybe the strongest sustained challenge to Wolfsburg, who won 4-0 against Cologne and just looked devastating. I mean, my friend sent me a uh, WhatsApp message. Uh, shout out to Lee Davis, great friend of ours, a uh, friend of the podcast and um, diehard. Forsberg Frown fan sent me a um, a screenshot of I think Penel Harder scored the opening goal. He was like comforting to know the Wolfsburg game was just getting the band back together. It was, wasn't it? Two for Penel Harder, one penalty. Svenja Hoof got the second. Alexandra Pop got the third with a header. I mean, it was just like Wolfsburg Frown starter pack double from Penel Harder, header from Alex Pop, just standard. Tavina Potsdam lost three two to Freiburg, which was a good game. Leverkusen lost at home to Duisburg, which... Duisburg, interesting side, actually. They've always produced good players over the years. But yeah, Bayern Hoffenheim was still the pick. And the good thing is there's a couple of places online where you can find the highlights of that game. And shout out to dfb.de where you can actually stream the games in great quality. My friend, John Barker, shout out to John. It was his birthday. It was his 30th recently. John, um, on his birthday, got to stream Bayern Hoffenheim and said, look, this is just great to be able to watch this. And full credit to... German football authorities for making these games available mm. and I hope they pick up some new fans as a result of it. While we're here I want to shout out Jasmina Schweimler who covers a lot of the Bundesliga and specifically Wolfsburg. If you want to follow her she's on Twitter at Jazz Schweimler so J-A-S-S-C-H-W-E-I-M-L-E-R she's a really really good follow for the Bundesliga. There's been a lot of positivity about the Frauen Bundesliga coming back, especially when you know the Women's Super League and Championship in the UK has the rest of the season has been cancelled, and they still haven't explained what's going to happen there. But um, I was actually chatting to Jazz about this the other day, and she said that um, if you check the Frauen Bundesliga this weekend, you would have noticed that there were a few teams who didn't play, and that's because of the rules within certain states in Germany. It means that like Jena, for example, haven't even trained yet because of the rules in Turingen. Players from Jena and Freiburg have made statements against the DFB 
and have listed, you know, the prices that they've had to pay for the return. So it hasn't all been super, super positive. Yeah. Yeah. Jazz is really, really good for stuff like that. If you want to know a little bit more about the, the Frauen Bundesliga and the wider context of everything, definitely recommend going to follow Jazz, but definitely worth keeping an eye on the Frauen Bundesliga. Yeah. Good league. Good league. To the Mena. Yes. Where do we start? Well, we could start with a game which was interesting both on and off the field just a slight continuation from the first half so Gladbach beat Union 4-1 mm-hmm. the game was very notable because Marcus Turam after scoring his first goal which was his ninth league goal of the season his, he got his tenth a little bit later he went down on one knee to ask for justice for black victims of police violence so that was interesting because obviously Marcus Turam's father the great Lilian Turam was a big activist as well off the field but also the game was interesting for the brilliance of Florian Neuhaus, the great dynamic, which Jonathan Harding, a great friend of this podcast, pointed out between um, player and Turam. Mm. Turam is still uncapped by France and is slightly unlucky that he is playing in such a great generation of French attackers. Having said that, I think he is going to play his way into contention. Florian Neuhaus, very impressive, beautiful opening goal, sort of slalom across the box. And the great thing about the goal that he scores, get to watch it, if you get to watch it, is that he cuts across the box and even when you watch the replay of the goal, you're still expecting him to go back across the keeper, but he mm-hmm. goes at the near post. And that's the genius of it. He, he basically wrong foots. He wrong footed me even when I watched the highlights again, <laughs> which is a great goal. Slightly worried about Union because they're goal shy yeah. and goal shy teams tend to, you know, I hate to say, I don't want to even say it out loud, but I'm nervous for them. Yeah. I'm a little bit nervous for him. I think Bayern hammering Fortuna 5-0 will soften the blow of losing away to Gladbach. I think we've, we mentioned on the last one that Union haven't had the kindest run of fixtures coming out of the break. No. Bayern at home, the Derby away. They drew with Mainz. That was the one that they would have expected to take three points against Mainz. Yeah. Maybe at home. But again, but I mean, the, the Fuster Eye is such a, it's so, so different. I mean, they're all different, but I mean, in terms of Union as a team who really, really they're going to really suffer without that home advantage. And also, unless your name's Leipzig, then Mainz have the habit of being a little bit resilient. I and mean, they only lost 1-0 to Hoffenheim. You know, they're, they're not the easiest team to knock off if they get their act together defensively. Mm. Yeah, I'm concerned. I mean, uh, just in relation to the uh, Bayern-Fortuna game, interesting detail that came out. Lewandowski had not scored against them until the weekend. It's the first time he scored against Fortuna, which is quite funny. And Amazing. yeah, and Hansi Flick actually warned them about the Fortuna game. He goes, look, like, don't get too euphoric after the victory over Dortmund because there's a lot of work to do. And don't forget that we drew three all against Fortuna at the Allianz. Mm. It was away. They drew away. Yeah, sorry, yeah. away. Remind him to keep an eye on the prize. Um, that was important. I want to do a quick shout out for Mamadou Dekori though, because uh, we moved on quickly from Gladbach before I got to mention him. But yeah, sure. 22 year old, signed from PSG in 2016 and has had a dreadful few years in terms of injuries and he finally made his debut on the weekend and Marcus Turam being I can't put into real words how much I love Marcus Turam by the way everything about him is amazing Daddy did good Paris did good yeah really really good so he took Decore's shirt after the game put it on the corner flag and held it up. So that was cool. the that was the shirt this weekend. Decore's so and cool. It was a really really good weekend for Gladbach because they haven't really fired since they've come out of the, the well since the resumption of the league. Yeah, and 
it's easy to forget this side two games before the winter break had a very real chance of finishing top at the break being the Herbstmeister or the winter champions um, and yeah we've mentioned a few times earlier on in the year about how teams started to figure them out a little bit or they hit that kind of wall that you would have expected them to after a while where that form kind of starts to starts to waver and they really needed a, a win like that I think and um, here's a question as well looking at Gladbach mm. given you know the corona unrest and the rest of it and the fact this team is playing good stuff together the fact that Marco Rose doesn't seem to be running anywhere anytime soon do you feel there's a pretty good chance of this lot staying together and having another crack at it next year and maybe attracting a couple of good pieces? It just seems to me like there's a good chance that the bulk of these players come back. I think if you look at where teams are at the moment compared to where they were in maybe October, November, you know, there was a lot of positivity about Schalke who lost at home to uh, Bremen on the weekend. Great Schalke goal, are great in goal. huge, huge, huge trouble. And... I mean, I haven't checked in to see what the noises are about David Wagner, but I would be very, very surprised if he lasts a lot longer as Schalke manager. Um, no win in 10 now for Schalke. They've, they've, they've had three goals in the last 11 games and like 25 conceded, I think, something awful like that. Yeah. I mean, put it this way, Hertha are now above them in the league. But going back to Gladbach, because I'd like to touch on Hertha quickly before we moved on, uh, before we wrap up kind of thing. I think that you would struggle to find a more attractive package for a young player than Gladbach at the I, moment. I agree. I completely agree. Because you're kind of removed of the, the, the pressure or the expectation to genuinely challenge like Dortmund. Um, Rosa seems to be still kind of under the radar of the, of the top, top clubs. You know, whereas Nagelsmann is on everyone's radar. Right. And I would like to see everyone stay together. I think that maybe they will. The current climate, I think, will help club back because it means that the possibility of gigantic fees or clubs taking an 80 million euro punt on someone like Marcus Taram isn't going to happen for another season or two, I don't think. I agree, yeah. You know, if they can finish third this year or even fourth, with some of the other sides who were kind of competing for that territory at the beginning of the season, a Champions League spot will be a massive, massive success for Rosa. And Gladbach are a big club and they're a great club. And yeah, I, I think it, this could be really a really interesting period for them, a, a really interesting 18 months if everything stays stable there. Um, but I mean, Leverkusen are level on points with them. Gladbach are just ahead on goal difference now. Leverkusen won one nil against Freiburg on Friday. Kai Havertz with another goal, but it was a lovely, oh, lovely combination. assist from Leon Bailey. The whole, the whole combination, the one, those two are so in sync. They're great. And the thing I really love about Kai Havertz is how he kind of, he does really amazing stuff. Like it's almost, but he's so nonchalant about it. I don't know whether there's a shyness there to him or whether it's just like, well, this is just, this is what I do. You know, you very, very rarely see him get super hype. Yeah. And when know? he does, it's like, it's a, in a physical sense, like he's physically very assertive and he's surprisingly, I think you said this last time, he's like a sort of like super fit boxing welterweight, like he's tough, like he's wiry, he's got mm. 
you hit him and you come back. Yeah, 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 he's a big, you hit him and he bounces off you like very angular frame, but yeah, very impressive. I mean, he's, he's the kind of, do you remember when the stretch five started becoming a thing? Okay. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. 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 He kind of reminds me of that profile of player where, you know, maybe a few years ago, someone of his stature or potentially skill set would play in a deeper role. Right. Maybe I'm just overthinking this, but he's he's quite a unique mixture of of talents. I think in one like a combination. I think he's a he's a really unique combination of talents for somebody who plays that high up. I think I agree, and you can see why. You know, if Liverpool have been looking at a person like that, you can see why that is the kind of player who makes a team evolve. You know, he 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 could make a top team evolve. He could make Liverpool evolve. I think. Well, Manchester United are apparently the favourites. That's interesting. I mean, again, though, I would like to, I'd like to see him stay at, at Leverkusen for another year or two at least, because I think that uh, we've seen with players like Jaden Sancho. You know, we didn't really even touch on Jaden Sancho. He scored his first top level hat trick on the weekend in Dortmund's six one win away at Paderborn. Seven second half goals, by the way. That's wild. Nil at half time, and they scored. The first goal went in like after fifty four minutes. Yeah. Yeah, the player development in the Bundesliga, when players are left to breathe and grow, you've seen how good that can be for young players. And I think that Leverkusen is a really good place for him right now. And I would even prefer him to stay there than move somewhere else in the Bundesliga. I would agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, Sancho. And then got political. Maybe that's it. Can I mention one thing on this, actually? Because I was re-watching the games this morning. The DAZN YouTube channel shows them these condensed highlight clips. And what I found really interesting was each incident in terms of the celebrations for Marcus Turam and Jaden Sancho, they were highlighted. So on the Turam one, it was really interesting because they replayed the goal a few times and I, th- and I thought, oh, they're not going to show it because it's too late now. And they left it, showed the celebration and the commentator said nothing. As in like he deliberately, it was like a deliberate, look at this. He didn't say anything. Brilliant. And for the Sancho one, the commentator said, uh, how many goals or assists Sancho had got this year? I mean, he's the youngest player to hit 29 Bundesliga goals. And he said, uh, basically, strong statistics and a strong message when he pulled up his shirt. I love it. I love it. You know, looping back into what we were saying before, it's that normalisation of the discourse that gradually shifts the needle over time. I love it. And then the Gladbach obviously tweeted, didn't they? No explanation yeah. needed. They tweeted the picture of Marcus Turam. Dortmund Twitter account tweeted the Sancho thing as well. And I think this is the thing. Like this, it's, it's, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be taboo for want of a better term. Yeah, this it's fine. It's normal. These are young dudes in a very diverse mixture of people, people from all over the world this stuff is normal for them. Yeah. It's, it's the same as, as us. Like we've always had quite a diverse set of peers or friends or, or whatever. Yeah. I can't get rid of some of them. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, right. Yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> now he wants to win this award. <laughs> you know, they talk, man. They yeah, talk. They do. They do. I mean, personally, I would like to see, I'd really like to see more white players come out because, yeah, it's a strong message, but that means it's heavy lifting. For sure. Yeah, real talk. Real talk, dude. Well put. Oh, before I forget, the Hertha win over Augsburg was interesting too. 
So a lot of goals have come for Hertha from sort of different sources and Piontek has mm. got two and two now. And what was interesting about Hertha's win was they're finding different ways to win. They absorbed a lot of pressure from Augsburg, mm. then hit them on the counter late on to seal. They were one nil up from you know, fairly early, but got the second goal to seal it. And just now a good team Hertha. They just, they can beat you with the open football. They can beat you by sitting deep. Just impressive. Undefeated since the resumption of the Bundesliga. Um, which if you consider that they have only now won 10, three of those have come in the last four games. I just love seeing a team that's well coached. There's something so satisfying. What have we got here? What are the pieces that work? And just creating a sense of um, togetherness within the squad and a common message, a common goal. Seeing the movement, there was a moment where um, Lukabako put one over the bar from a central area. And I remember thinking, I'm really glad you're just making that run. Like, I'm really glad you're in that position. They used to say that about um, Andy Cole. And it was fun. They used to say, oh, Andy Cole, you missed that chance. And Glenn Hoddle said, yeah, but he was in position to miss it. Like, mm. and Hoddle wasn't the biggest fan of Cole's as a finisher, but his whole thing was like, he's in that position. And I think that was the same with Luca Becchio. And there's just such a fluidity now to her to going forward and there are ideas. Oh, and one other thing to shout out as well before I forget, player development, looping it back to that. Mm. Todibo at Schalke. That is a terrible move at this point. And I mean, it looks like an all right one earlier on in the season. It did, it but... did no disrespect to him and to anyone, to Wagner and to Schalke, no disrespect, but it is just not the place for a young defender, a young centre-back to grow, develop confidence, especially when there was potentially such a huge future in front of him at Barca and where they could do with a player like him. And he made a terrible concession. He lost the ball in the halfway line, tried to play out of trouble. Breakaway came and Bittencourt ended up scoring for Verda. And I just thought to myself, that in microcosm, that in microcosm is what is wrong with Tadebo being in that environment because Schalke, the squad doesn't have the depth it should have. You know, you make a mistake defensively, you get punished. And you saw mm. it as well going forward. You saw certain clubs in attack. You saw Freiburg going forward and you saw their missing chances, snatching chances, you know, in teams that don't create opportunities the premium on, on chance creation and the punishment of every mistake is just a brutal environment for a young player. And if there's any way of Tadebo rescuing his future at the new camp, I'd advise him to, you know. Man, Schalke need a little bit more Hub Stevens energy. They do. You know what I mean? They know must stay in. Yeah, they do. Anything else? I think we're good. Yeah? We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should get out of here. They've had enough of us. Some Just some admin quickly. Yeah, at Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram, Stadio.Football is the website. Um, please vote for us in the British Podcast Awards, BritishPodcastAwards.com forward slash vote. Go and vote. Stay well, everyone. Absolutely. Take care of yourselves and each other, as Jerry would say, Jerry Springer would say. And uh, yeah, we're playing out this week. With Leon Thomas, and we'll be back on Thursday. Sounds good. See you then. Let me on a dream.
try and take my pride and take my legacy. Your naked world has no reflectability. I came a long way with no hospitality. It's my life I'm fighting for. It's my life I'm fighting for. It's my life I'm fighting for. I'm tired of hearing words, words of sympathy. Back on your own society. I have to come. I ain't waiting. Just take a look around. Yeah. It's my life I'm fighting for. It's my life I'm fighting for. It's my life. 